Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved your word to us in scripture and preserved the very words of your son. And we pray that you would now give us ears to hear what he wants to say to us and strengthen us, encourage us today through your word, we pray. Amen. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And there are moments when terrible news brings great trouble to our hearts. You get a call that you or a loved one has a terminal illness. Or you discover that a close friend or somebody you thought was a close friend has betrayed trust. Or unforeseen events upend your plans for the future, your career, your business, your retirement. And a lot of people are going through that right now. Uncertainty about the future. This is in many ways for us a season of bad news and troubled hearts. And Jesus has given the disciples some bad news. He told them that he was going to be killed. And then at the Last Supper, which is the setting for this gospel reading, Jesus told them that one of their very own would betray him. And when he said that and pointed out Judas, Judas left the, the supper and went into the night. And then Jesus predicted that they would all fall away. Even Peter, the boldest among them, Jesus says, Peter, before it's all over, you're going to deny me three times. So Jesus has given the disciples some terrible news, but then he gives them and he gives us the cure for troubled hearts. Believe in God, believe also in me. You see, God has given us promises to believe, promises that give us strength and comfort in troubled times. And these promises come to us through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, believe also in me. And here is the promise. In my Father's house, are many rooms. The Father's house, friends, is an image of heaven, the dwelling place of God. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, there is room enough for all of you to be in the eternal presence of God. This is the promise that gives us ultimate hope. This is the promise that Jesus is calling us to believe that can give peace to troubled hearts. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you, Jesus says. Jesus gives us his word that this promise is true. Why do Christians believe in the hope of heaven? Is it because we invented it to make ourselves feel better, to shield ourselves against the reality of death? Is it something that we've manufactured? Do we believe in the hope of heaven because people write books or there's movies made about near-death experiences? 
No, we believe in heaven because Jesus teaches it. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches it. In Luke 19.6, he talks about how his disciples will be received into eternal dwellings in heaven. And throughout his teaching, he talks about rewards and treasure in heaven. So I believe heaven is real because Jesus says it is real. If it were not so, would I have told you, Jesus asked. Jesus promises heaven, and he promises that he will prepare a place there for his disciples. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And I love that idea of Jesus preparing a place for his disciples. I remember on this, this Mother's Day, I was thinking about when I would return home from college and how my mother would make special preparations for me. You know, she'd make sure that my room was clean, that my favorite foods were in the fridge. She would prepare a special meal for me. It, it showed that she cared about me, that she knew me, that she was thinking about me, that she was happy to have me home. Of course, moms are specialists at this sort of thing. Well, Jesus is saying he prepares a place for those who belong to him, for all of his disciples. He knows us. He cares for us. He wants us to be where he is. That is part of what's so wonderful about heaven. Not just the preparation that will be, not just the the environment that will be received in, but the fact that Jesus will be there, that where I am, you may be also, Jesus says. Think about it. This is part of the reason why the disciples are troubled, why they're grieving. Jesus has told them that he's going to be killed, that he's going to go away. And they've been with Jesus for around three years now. And in Jesus, they have seen the love of God, the compassion of God. In Jesus' teaching, they heard the wisdom of God. In Jesus' mighty works, which he refers to here, they've seen the power of God. They've seen God heal the sick and raise the dead. And, and now Jesus is going away. But he says, and he says later on in this, this discourse, that he's going to leave the Holy Spirit. He's going to give the Holy Spirit. So they're not going to be orphaned. They're not going to be completely alone. In the meantime, they have this hope that they're going to see him once again and that where he is, they will be. And, and that is such a great hope for those of us who have known the love of God in Jesus Christ, experienced the presence of God in Jesus Christ, heard the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ through Scripture. It is a great hope to know that one day we will see him face to face. But Thomas asked, the disciple Thomas asked a basic question. <laughs> and often in these Gospels, you see that the disciples don't quite pick up on, on metaphor. They're not very good on picking up on Jesus's analogies and parables. So Jesus has to come down a level, and, 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 and Jesus has been talking about returning to the Father. Thomas doesn't quite get it. So he says, 
how, how do we get to where you're going? We don't even know what you're talking about. We don't know the way to where you're going. So, so what, what should we do? And in response, Jesus makes one of the most astounding claims that he makes in the Gospels when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to the Father's house. Jesus' life and his death and resurrection has made the way for us to be in the presence of God for all eternity. Thomas Akempis, in The Imitation of Christ, a great spiritual writer, he says this, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. It's all in Jesus. Now, many people today, especially non-Christians, when they hear Jesus' words in John 14, 6, it's like running into an electric fence. It is shocking. It's painful. And they don't ever want to go near it again because Jesus, in these words, is being exclusive. And our culture prizes inclusion. And I think as Christians, we need to appreciate how a difficult a passage like this is. And I think we can sympathize in some way uh, with this impulse in our culture towards inclusion because inclusion says everyone is welcome and everyone is respected and valued and heard. And these are things that Christians ought to appreciate. We can appreciate that. But inclusion can also be pushed to say, and all views are equal. All views are equal, especially when it comes to religion. All paths lead to God. They're all equal and valid. But what if that view, that view that all views are valid when it comes to religion and all paths are equal, what if that view is actually a product of our culture? a product of Western modern culture? And what if that view is actually very offensive to other cultures? I don't think a devout Muslim would be happy to be told that Hinduism is equal to their beliefs or a devout Jew that their religion is essentially the same as Christianity. And so thinking about it in those terms, what gives us the right as 21st century Westerners to tell them that we're the ones that can see a truth that they can't. We need to let religions speak for themselves, and many religions are exclusive. They say we are right and the others are wrong. Samuel Chan, in one of his books on how to connect the gospel to our current culture, makes those points. And then he says, What if we have? All of us have cultural blinders. What if it doesn't depend on our trying to find God, but it depends on God finding us? And that's exactly what the Bible claims. God sent his son into the world so that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There is this theme of universal welcome. Whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into this world 
so that we can know him. Jesus says in this passage, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that's the claim. The way to know God is through Jesus. The way to the life of God is through Jesus. The way to the Father's house is through Jesus. We can't force anybody to believe that. We can just point people to Jesus' words and his life and his deeds and ask people, hey, if you're concerned about eternal things, if you're concerned about your eternal destiny, please seriously consider Jesus Christ. And we can walk with them through that and try to answer their questions. I don't know about you, but one of the ways that God has used this pandemic in my life is to remind me to kind of drill it into my head over and over again that this world is not your ultimate home. I get comfortable here. I get relaxed here. I think I'm secure here. But then this virus comes along and reminds me of the truth. This world is not my ultimate home. My ultimate security is not here. I was reading this week something that St. Augustine wrote back in the 5th century in the City of God about this hope that we have, the hope of heaven, the hope of the Father's house. And, and in this section of the City of God, he writes paragraph after paragraph about all the terrible things that can happen in this world. It's pretty depressing reading. He says, who can be free from fear or grief in a world of mourning and bereavement? And then he goes on and talks about how people everywhere are victims, victims of violence and injustice and lust and, and even torture. Then he talks about, so that's, that's sort of the moral evil that's present in the world. And then he begins to talk about natural evil, the brokenness of the natural world and the threat of nature itself. And he says at one point, even the dog, which is the most gentle and friendly of all animals, can become a threat to us if it gets rabies and bites you, he says. He says, you can be walking down the street in perfect health and slip and fall and break your leg and get infected and die. And he talks about all the various maladies that affect our bodies. And, and even at one point, he talks about how the air itself can carry disease. Don't we know it? <laughs> and, he, and then after all this litany of all the, the bad things that can happen to us in this world, from moral evil, from the natural world, he says, what is God trying to say to us in this? And two lines really caught my attention that connect to what Jesus is teaching here. First, he writes this. God who permits this could not teach us more emphatically how much the misery of this life is to be moaned and how greatly the blessedness of eternity is to be desired. The pain and uncertainty of this life should stir up in us a desire for the blessing of eternity. And the second thing that he said that caught my attention is this. Augustine writes that God's grace is meant to help us not to escape our suffering but to bear them with a stout heart, with a fortitude that finds its strength in faith. 
And this is why Jesus is giving these promises to his disciples in John 14. He is wanting to fortify their faith, to strengthen them in a hope that will take them through the suffering that is going to come. Because he talks about the persecution that his disciples are going to have to suffer when he leaves. And then he says in John 16, 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Friends, there is a hope that we have to hang on to, a hope that keeps us from falling away in the midst of terrible news when our hearts are troubled. And it's the hope that Jesus gives here. This is not the end. This world is not our final destination. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of being in the Father's house with Christ. And it's the promise that through his cross and his resurrection, he's prepared a place for you and me. Let's hang on to that hope today and in the days and weeks and months to come. Amen. Let me say a prayer, and then Matt's going to sing.